Amen. Amen. So this morning we're starting a new series called The Dynamic Kingdom. And just a, a bit of background, we've been building up to this over the summer. We've been looking at how we hear God's voice. And then we've looked at how we discover and walk in the power of the Spirit as we follow God's voice and we follow the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to round it out. And so I want to help us to, between now and Christmas, really understand some of the things that God is doing in our midst, some of the things he's about to do in our, through us, and also how each one of us can walk in the power of the kingdom. And so to do that, what we're going to look, do is we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said. And the reason we're going to do that is that when Jesus was on the earth, he was training his disciples to walk in the ways of the kingdom. Jesus' priority in discipleship was training. Sometimes we use this word discipleship and every church does discipling in, it, in the way that he thinks it should be done. But generally, we associate discipleship with a Bible study or a program or some sort of organized uh, study. And that's not what Jesus did at all. Yes, he did teach, but his primary aim was at the end of the three years when he went to be with his father, that the disciples could do all that he did and more. And so he was teaching them the ways of the kingdom. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking and piggybacking on those ways, what some of those teachings Jesus said, and so we can understand the ways of the kingdom. Now, we, we talked a lot this morning, and, you know, the Holy Spirit, I just love it when the Holy Spirit moves, because I'm already off plan, and I'm on the first line. But here's, here's the way this is, is that, you know, when we follow God's ways, they don't work the same way as everything else that we see in life. And that's our problem because we, we kind of try and adapt God's ways so they've got a lot of our worldly ways in it and they don't work like God's ways. And because of that, we come up with all sorts of ideas, all sorts of theories about what we should do. And, uh, you know, we, we talked this morning about God being there and God being present whatever is going on in life. You know, we sang about that. And that in Christ alone, we have our anchor. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples, to anchor onto him, to attach to him, to, to base themselves on the rock. And so when we get to it, what I'm going to look at this morning is that passage where Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Because it's so important for us, you know, like, the, the minute, I don't advise you to do this, but the minute you switch on the news or you read a newspaper front page or whatever, the world is all over the place, up, down, left, right, all, just all sorts of things going on. And in your own life, if you gauged your walk with Christ according to where you're at at any single point in time, it will go up and down. But Christ is constant. The grace that he has given us, that free gift of grace, is constant. It doesn't go up and down. It doesn't move around. And so in learning to walk in the ways of the kingdom, what we're really doing is we're training our hearts and training our, our thinking so that we are attaching our lives to that constant, that constant of Christ instead of the up and downs of the world. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's what I want to talk about. 
I want to just start with something that I call the dynamic of being a disciple. I like that word dynamic. It's got a bit of life about it, hasn't it? I, you know, in, through the Holy Spirit, we're actually all dynamic persons. You might think, well, I'm a really like, quiet sort of person or I'm a really sort of uh, reserved or an, I'm an introvert. Or what have I got to offer? Or you don't know what a mess things are with, with me right at the moment. Well, this is what Jesus says. He says that he has given you his spirit. And his spirit now lives in you. And Jesus also said that with that spirit comes something else. And it's called dynamis. That's where we get dynamite or dynamic from. Dynamis, which means explosive power. So... Whatever you're like in your, your personality, through Christ, you're dynamic. Yeah. You carry explosive power. Now, it comes out in different ways. You can have, you can have a, a big boom sort of explosive power, and we've got a few big boomers. And, or you could have, so you, you could like go for the silent shotgun approach. You just, and it's gone. And, but we all, we all carry the power of God that comes out through us. And because we're all different, that means that the power of God is multifaceted, yeah. that, that he expresses itself in different ways. And because of that, we can touch and help different people with that same power. Yeah? yeah. Now, here's the thing about discipleship. I want you to understand that if we do, which we, which we are starting to do and we're going to continue on this path, if we do discipleship, Jesus' way, now he's a downer, it's going to look like we're failing for a long time. Okay? It look like we're failing because we've got so used to measuring things by the world. And when I started talking to, to the elders about this, about, I guess it was about 18 months ago, two years ago, when we were looking at where we went for the future, what, what, one of the things I said is that, that when, when, when we go down this path, it won't be a recognized path that we, we're used to measuring. And here's why. You see, if I'm, a, if, I'm a, if I'm a great evangelist, you know, just if like I had a tiny bit of Connie's anointing. Okay, let's just say I've got a tiny bit of Connie's anointing. And, and having been to America, you know, I'm closer to the anointing now. <laughs> but just if I had a tiny bit, let's say over the ten year, next 10 years... I lead a 1,000 people a year to Christ. Now, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know, I could build a ministry on the back of that, you know. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if somebody could do that? So over 10 years, we've led 10,000 people to Christ. That, wouldn't you say that is like a pretty amazing believer? Yeah? And wouldn't you say that's a success? That is a success for that person with that anointing. But here's the thing. If I lead one person to Christ and then I disciple them for six months so that I reproduce myself in them and they then lead one person to Christ who they disciple, is what happens. At the end of year one, there are four people. The evangelist has a thousand. We look like, this is what I mean, we look like we're failing. At the end of two years... You're up to 32 people. Now, here's the thing. And this is, when you, when you attach that and you do the maths on that, 
At the end of 16 and a half years, you have evangelized seven and a half billion people, which is slightly more than are on the planet at the moment. I'm allowing for some population growth. That's why Jesus taught people to disciple, not just to tell them about Jesus. There's a process that we can all engage in, whatever our personality, whoever we are, we can engage in that one-on-one -on -one process with the goal of reproducing ourselves or the Christ we carry in us in that other person. And the maths will prove out that the dynamic kingdom looks for quite a while like it's failing because the, the, the natural ways, the ways of man go up steadily like that. The kingdom goes like this, but suddenly it goes like that. Now, I'm looking and I'm believing for a revival in this nation. And I believe a revival in this nation will be carried by each person. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever studied the Welsh revival, but the Welsh revival got carried through the valleys with people singing. Yeah. It wasn't that people piled into the chapels because they hadn't built the chapels at that time. It got, it got, it got carried by people singing and singing the songs of the kingdom. Particularly one, who knows what the song of the Welsh Revival was? There is love vast as the ocean, yeah. And they used to go down the valley singing that and people would ask them why we're doing it and all the rest of it. Revival gets carried by people. Otherwise, it ends up being a series of meetings that are internalised to the church. And what God has coming for us is something that is external to the church that brings people into the body of Christ called the church. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's the, the, the difference of thinking kingdom. When you think church and when you think organization, when you think man's ways, our goal is to grow faith life or grow whatever church we're part of. And we have this mental equation that says growing our church equals kingdom growth. Well, it doesn't necessarily. Because churches, uh, you know, overall, the church attendance population in this nation is declining. Despite the fact we've tried and, and churches try all these different ways of getting their churches to grow. And in some places, if you're in a village of 100 people, then you're not going to get your church to grow beyond 20 or 30 people. Even if you've, everybody in the village got converted, it's still only 100. It's not a mega church. He is the good news. Every time Jesus got a mega church, he upset it, walked away, and always ended up with a mini church. So I'm following the guy that ends up with the mini church and eventually changes the world rather than the guy that started the mega church and adjusted to what they say to what people want to hear. So unfortunately, over the next several weeks, you're going to hear some stuff you don't want to hear. But I'm, I'm praying, I'm believing for you. I've, I've, I've talked to God about this and he's going to challenge each of our hearts. So that's good, isn't it? Yeah, so, so if, you, if you don't like that, you can just pretend you've got my jet lag and nod off for a bit. Is that, is that all right? So there's a difference between what the, what the Bible calls, which is apostolic church, which is where people go out. People are sent out from the body of Christ, reach others, bring them into the kingdom and build local churches. And what we do, which is called attractional church, and we've done this for thousands of years. We've done this since 
300 AD approximately, which is this idea that we'll all gather together as church in a building and we'll put on the best possible church meeting we could possibly put on and hope that people come to us and then we can tell them about Jesus. And, and, and that's not kingdom. And I'm going to show you that that's not kingdom. But it is what we do and it is how we measure things. Now, church has a purpose and it's a glorious purpose. It's an amazing purpose. And you guys have all, all plugged into that this morning because corporately, when the Holy Spirit moves, it's very different from when it moves in, at an individual level. And we ought to come expectant. And, and church, you know, even right at the start of the church, they gathered once a week to listen to the apostles' teaching and doctrine. And so it's, it's right that you do church. And Guys, if, by the way, if you're now listening on the internet and you weren't at church on Sunday, get yourself to church next Sunday because it'll be good for you and it'll be good for those who were already there. But church isn't about the world coming to us. Church has a different purpose to that. But the body of Christ, the church, is about going to the world. And that's, that's kind of where I wanted to set the scene this morning because... I want you to understand that kingdom dynamic, that multiplication is much more powerful than addition. If we did the best possible thing, let's say we could, we could next Sunday, let's say we all club together. I'm, you know, I'm encouraging you to club together. Let's say we all club together and we all took out a few, few mortgages and extra loans and stuff like that. We put it in a bucket next Sunday. The week after, we put on a concert right here with a meeting that rivals Coldplay, okay, on, on production values and all the rest of it. We could do all that. Here's the thing. The world would not come to us for more than that one meeting. They would go away having experienced that meeting. And the reason is this. The only thing that changes lives and gives the power for permanent change in a life is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we have to plug into. Are, are, you, are you starting to see this? Because multiplication is much more powerful in addition. Okay. Let me just put a, the, the key issue up front that goes through a lot of people's minds, and it, it goes through mine at regular intervals, and I, I, I kind of lead the church, so I'm supposed to like, have it. But it's this, well, my life is just full. How can I do any more? And, you know, it's, you know I, I get there on a Sunday morning, you know, I, I, might, I might be a bit late, I might arrive halfway through worship, but I, you don't know what's going on in my week. And, you know, I, and I sometimes read my Bible, and, but you can't expect me to do any more than that because my life's really busy. Here's the problem for us, and, you know, it's a challenge for every one of us, including me, is Jesus says that's not valid. That's not a valid understanding of life because we've given his, our lives to him. And so the question isn't... Um, whether we have the time or not to do something different or to, you know, change the way we, we act or the, the way we follow Jesus. The question is this, is will we let our hearts be changed 
so that our priorities change and therefore our time use changes. And that's a real challenge in today's world when success, success, success is all about comparison and how well people are getting on and how you need to get on. And, and, and life, honestly, for, for most people, is a real struggle to get enough finances together to make ends meet and, and get through to the next week or the next month. And, and so we work ourselves, and we work ourselves this generation harder than any previous generation. And Jesus is saying, but there's a world that needs saving. And somewhere we have to, as individuals and as the body, make up our mind that our life is about Christ, not about the 70 or 80 years we're on the earth. We have a, 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 a dangerous spirit that inhabits the body of Christ. It's called the spirit of self-fulfillment. And Christ talked about something completely different, which was the spirit of self-sacrifice. And so we, we, we need to let the Holy Spirit adjust some of our thinking. Still with me? I'm not scared you off. Because I'm actually going to do some, some teaching now. But here's, here's what I'm leading up to. Now, if you're a bit, if you bother about these things, this is the moment you pretend you've got jet lag and you go to sleep. Because I'm going to, I'll tell you up front, then you can get yourself braced. I'm going to show you an excerpt from the film Lord of the Rings. Okay? Lord of the Rings... Some people uh, think, well, it's got sort of these horrible creatures in it and all that sort of thing. Lord of the Rings was actually written not, and, and this is why people don't see it so clearly. So if you read Narnia, you see the story of Jesus really clearly if you read Lion, the Witch and Water. Lord of the Rings isn't about that. The, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were contemporaries who interacted with each other. Tolkien was a Catholic, C.S. Lewis was a, an Anglican. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings about, and what he was interested in was this question of the spiritual affecting the natural. So he, he's writing a story around the principalities and the powers and Jesus ultimately winning the victory over the principalities and the powers. He's writing a story around between the contrast between good and evil. And so he gives these, these principalities and powers who, who we, we, we need to defeat and to enforce Christ's victory over, he gives them uh, characterization, Uruk-hai and orcs and all sorts of things that have big teeth and growl and don't look very pretty. And he gives them an evil leader. And there's, because what came out of his theology was that the meek will inherit the earth. And blessed are the poor in spirit. And so he's talking about that contrast between good and evil and how the meek are the ones who win. The meek are the hobbits, just in case you want to know. These little guys with furry feet, tiny guys, cute guys. Um, hang around with dwarfs a lot, you know, that sort of thing. And what he talks about a lot in The Lord of the Rings is how the church has reacted to the evil in the world. And the, that comes out really clearly in this scene. Because what has happened and is happening in our generation more than anything else is the church has been pushed back out of the world into the safety of its own private world meetings. And we have a choice whether we will ride out and meet the enemy or we will go for safety. 
And that's the choice that faces the church right now. Will we ride out and meet the enemy or will we go to safety? And that comes together in this little scene where Theoden, who's the king of the Rohan, is challenged by Aragon, the coming king, about whether he'll ride out. And he has a choice to make. You look at anything now, you would conclude that open warfare is upon the church, whether you like it or not. We cannot avoid it. We have a choice to make whether we will batten down, we will go for safety, and we will do church, or whether we will ride out into the world and change the world and affect the world and do open warfare with the enemy. Because he, he is battering down the walls of the church. He is invading the church. And we need to make that decision. Is it, you can't make that as a body. You have to make that as individuals. And here's the thing. Because like Theoden, he's afraid for his people. And we talk a lot about what is wrong with the world and what they're doing. And that we, we mustn't import that into the church. And so we retreat and we retreat. And because we think we'll be safe. That if we just, if we just live our, our, our little Christian lives, we'll be safe. The gospel of Christ was never, ever safe. Safety is not the goal. If safety was the goal, the minute you became a believer, you would have gone to heaven. Because that's safe. But we're on the earth to make a difference. We're on the earth... Uh, to not just protect ourselves safe from an evil world, but to affect that world around us, to not be of that world, to be, but to be in the world, and to push back the principalities and the powers of darkness. Not to, not to hide within our walls and go for safety and, and expect that to come in, people to come in because they need to find safety. Because the world out there has changed markedly. Here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy is never, ever satisfied with what he's got and he'll always want more. And right now he wants the church because that's the only thing left. So he's coming into the church. He's changing the way people see the gospel. He's watering down the gospel. He's changing what, the way people are passionate about the word. He's, he's saying to people, you know, you can, be, you can call yourself a member of a church now and only go once every two months. And that's okay, because we understand, because you're busy. No, it's not okay. It's not okay that we have empty churches and churches on every street corner, and yet it's not affecting the world outside. It's not okay. Because the world doesn't stop. It comes, and the enemy keeps on coming, because he always wants more. He has one agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have a choice. Do we go for the last element of safety or do we ride out and meet him? And right at the moment, you're probably thinking, well, how does that apply to me? How do I ride out and meet? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about that over the, the following weeks. That's the theme of what I'm going to. Today, I'm just really setting a theme. But I want you to go to a, a, a passage now where Jesus talks. This is the first founding of the church. This is what Jesus says when he founds the church. 
And he doesn't found the church through Acts. He founds the church by speaking and prophesying what is to come. God does all, he always speaks things out. So Jesus speaks out here what the church is going to be, but he, he prefaces it like Jesus always does because he asks a question. Okay, so you know this passage, and uh, you, you've probably heard it lots of times, but hopefully I can, I can show you a few things in it because the big questions, and the big questions around the way we think of ourselves and around the way we think of as church. So here's the question, here we start, Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to start at verse 13. I'll read it through, and then we'll come back and we'll explore it. Is that okay? So I'll just, I'll just read it through first. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Something really subtle happens in that conversation there. Like somebody gets a completely new identity and a new name as a result of a conversation and a result of what he's realised. And, and, and Peter goes from being Simon to being Peter. There's, you see, when you encounter Jesus... There is a, a transformation that takes place. We take on a new life, a new identity. When you became a believer, the Spirit of Christ came in to, to live in you. You were born again, and you are no longer who you were before. Whereas uh, sin and evil had an old, a hold on you, it now has no hold. The, 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 the slavery of sin... And the plans of the enemy now cannot hold you. And the way we break free of those, the way we do that is we, we believe it and through the power of the Spirit, the Spirit changes us and changes our hearts and helps us walk free. And so that's what we see in little microcosm with Simon becoming Peter. Now, let me go back because I'm, I'm going to pull five points out of this. So it's, as you can see, I've moved on from Anglicanism. I've now gone from three points to five points. I grew up with three-point sermons. I added like the first 20-odd years of my life with three-point sermons. Okay, so here's the question. Number one, point number one. Big question Jesus is going to ask, and he's asking you this morning. Who do you? No, sorry, he's asking people. Who do, you, who do people say that I am? And then he asks, who do you say I am? Okay. Now, here's the big question. This is the biggest question in discipleship. Who do you say Jesus is? Because who you say Jesus is and who Jesus is to you 
will 100% affect the way you relate to him and the way you see church and the way you see the body of Christ and the way you live in the kingdom. So, for instance, if you see good, Jesus is like a good teacher and the, the value of Jesus is all the things that he taught, then you will tend to go towards quite an intellectual form of Christianity that focuses on teaching, tries to study the teaching, examine the Greek, and, 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 and kind of get as much knowledge as you can about Jesus as you can. If you see Jesus as meek and mild and weak, then you see the church as meek and mild and weak, and you see Christ in you as meek and mild and weak. So the, 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 the way we see Jesus has consequences to the way we live out our faith. If you see, and this is how I was brought up, this is how I grew up, I, I had a very distant God, a God who'd set the world in motion, Jesus won the victory, it's okay, I'm going to heaven one day, but he didn't do much now. He just expected me to live according to what he said and to follow his teachings and to get a bit more information and be, be a good sort of person. But he was very distant. I'd, you couldn't have a relationship with him. If you did have a relationship with him, it was basically him coming to tell me off. And, and that was about it. That God only turned up when you'd been naughty. So he turned up a lot at my life when I was a teenager. And... And we have this picture of God. Now, if you've got that sort of picture of God, it's going to be very difficult for you to move on from the things that you're stuck with. Because you have a God who's always telling you how bad you are and what a failure you are and how you've let him down and how did that happen and how did you do that? I, I, I set you free from that and the, the, here it is again. And, and you feel condemned by God all the time. But Jesus took that condemnation. So we want a picture of Jesus that is reflective of who he really is. And so I want you, first thing, I'm just going to give you like a little moment of reflection. Who do you think, who is Jesus to you? What does he look like to you? What are his principal characteristics when he relates to you and when he relates to the world? Now, I don't want you to dwell on it too long because it's those initial impressions that are the big ones and they're dominating your thinking about him. You see, we've got two questions here. We've got an easy question. Who do people say that I am? Everybody's got a theory about Jesus. Even if they don't follow Jesus, everybody's got a theory about Jesus, who he is, what he did, and who he is. Yeah? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion about what they think about Jesus. You just go and try and talk to somebody straight after this meeting is not, you know, not, not in church and tell them about Jesus. You'll find out they've got an opinion. Even if that opinion is to walk away from you, say, I don't want to hear. They've got an opinion. That's their opinion. So everybody's got an opinion. And so we've got this easy question. Who do people say I am? And the disciples come up. They go like, I can do this. Like, I've been following Jesus and finally, I've got a question I can answer. You know, all those questions I couldn't answer. Now I've got one I can answer. And so they all, have, they all chip in. They're very excited. It's like, it's like me asking a question on a Sunday morning, and you all having an answer. And you're thinking, God, I've learned something. 
And so they, they're going, oh, I've learned something. Oh, Jesus is going to be pleased. going to be pleased. I'm going to answer. Some people say when he's Elijah, I got that one. Dabs is me. And somebody goes, no, no, no. I heard he's Jeremiah. And, and they've all got an answer. And so it's good, isn't it? And then Jesus kind of floors them. And he goes, but who do you say I am? And they're going, Let's hope Peter's mouth runs away with him again. Because I ain't answering that one. Because it's obviously one of Jesus' trick questions and I'm not going for it. And so the, you can just imagine they've all stood there. But Peter cannot stop himself. He, he's like, he can, never stops himself, does he? And he comes out with it. And th- this moment is just the most incredible moment. And he goes, you're not just a man. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And at that point, all the disciples go, I wish I'd had that answer. He's kind of right, isn't he? I haven't spotted it before, but he's right. And Jesus turns to him and he says, well done. Well done, Simon Peter, because you cheated on the test. Because you didn't come up with that answer yourself, did you? You could not have got to that answer if God had not told you. You got that direct from God. You see, God is the greatest revealer of himself. Without the Holy Spirit, words are words. Without the Holy Spirit, songs are songs. Without the Holy Spirit, we create atmosphere instead of inviting the presence. And they're two very different things. And so we want to get things direct from God. Everything about the church and the body of Christ should start with this question, who do you say I am? And then we go from there. If we're talking to somebody... We start with that question, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? And then we go from there. So, I just want to pack five things about how Jesus intends to build his church. Because he says, on this rock, this rock of this revelation that you're going to anchor your life to, Peter, The understanding that I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the Saviour, I am the only way to to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Anything that builds differently to that isn't the church. I'd just like you to realise that. Anything that builds differently to this is not the church that Jesus is building. It can be church that man is building for all the right reasons because he wants to glorify Jesus, but it's not the church Jesus is building. And that's really important. And it's really important because in a world that is be- in, when we live in a world that is beating down the doors of the church, there's only Jesus can get us out of this. Only his power and his revelation and his wisdom gets us out of this situation. Make no doubt about it. If we do not ride out and follow the ways of the kingdom, this scenario does not get better. It gets worse. And for me, in my life, the speed of change, particularly in the last 10 years, I think is absolutely astonishing. 
you know, things that we would have said, no, that will never happen, and now mainstream, and you're not allowed to say that they're wrong. And the church is, is within its walls, unable to say anything about anything being right and wrong anymore. And that's not right. And I guarantee you, for those who are a little bit older than five, or even ten, who are maybe young, like me, that, that you never thought that the world would be like it is now. Thank you at the back there for that resounding vote of confidence. Are you implying I haven't used enough skin cream today to, to look dazzlingly young? Excellent, excellent. Good get out, John. Right, so number one, five things about the church. We'll, we'll get past John's cheesy groveling to the teacher bit there. Here we go. Number one, Jesus builds the church. The church that Jesus talks about is the one he builds. The church that Paul talks about is the church Jesus is building. The church that Peter talks about is the church that Jesus is building. And, you know, today there's lots of books, and I, I've read them, most of them. I've got a, a wall of them on books on how to grow your church and how you should grow your church. And quite honestly, that makes most pastors feel completely inadequate, completely useless, and total failures. And so it actually stops them doing the jobs. And, and so we have all this wisdom on how to grow your church. But Jesus is saying the only way you can grow church that is real church is my way. And the only way that happens is if I build it. So for me to build it, you're going to have to listen to me. Because church isn't about the organization. Church is about the people within the body of Christ. And each individual part of that needs to listen to me to follow what I'm directing in order to impact outside the world. So first thing, Jesus built his church. Point number two, Jesus owns the church. This is really important. Jesus owns the church. Jesus bought the church with his blood. He never, ever offered to build our church. He owns the church. You see, how can I put it? Yeah, let, let me tell you a little story. There's this guy, I, I, I'm not sure whether this is a real story or not, um, but I heard it a couple of years ago, and it really like challenged me around this. Does Jesus own this church? Because we had a vision right at the start of this church, which was a, which called the white light vision, for those of you who heard it before. And basically, I asked God what he wanted to do through Cheryl and my life. And he showed me a picture of this mass of people, all blazed in blue light, but right in the centre, there wasn't me, there wasn't Cheryl, there wasn't even a worship team, there was just white light. And he said to me, I said, what's that about you? He said to me, I'm going to build what I'm going to build, and the way you'll see it is always to keep me at the focus of the centre, that Christ is our vision, to point each one of us to a greater vision of Christ. And so there's this, this builder, and he, he builds all the houses in a town. You know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a really good contractor. And he's built, like, from little uh, new housing estates to big, big mansions. And one day, um, the wealthiest guy in the area comes along to him and says, I want, to, I want you to build a house. And I can tell you right now, I'm the wealthiest guy around here, and um, it's got to be no expense spared. You know, 
Fudge, it's not a problem. I want you to build the greatest, grandest house that we can have in this area. And so the contractor thinks, this is amazing. This is absolutely fantastic. I can, I can do this. And, and what he's thinking is, you know, this is going to be the answer to some of the financial problems that I've had because I'm a bit overstretched. And so he, he sets off and he's got this amazing plan. He's, the, the, the wealthy guy has his plan drawn up and it looks absolutely magnificent. But what happens is that the builder decides that in building it, whilst the outside might look magnificent, inside he's going to cut corners. Because he thinks, well, if I cut corners, you know, what's going to happen is I'll make more money. And, you know, my business will prosper. I'll be even more famous. Everybody will be coming to me for their houses because it looks fantastic on the outside. So I'm going to cut some cut money and I'm going to cut corners. And there might be a little bit like outdated wiring here and there and a bit of like cheap plumbing. And I'm going to use some really cheap builders to, to, to like lay the foundations and all that sort of stuff. And he won't know because the day he, he takes it on, it'll, it'll look fantastic. But 20 years down the line, not so fantastic. But that's okay because I'm out of here by then. Meanwhile, I've got famous because I built the biggest house in town. So he sets out and he builds his house and he looks fantastic on the outside, but he knows that inside he's cut corners everywhere. And the, the, the wealthy guy comes back, he says, you know, it's finished, come and have a look at, at the house. Come and have a look at what I, I've built. And, and the wealthy guy comes in and he goes, this is absolutely amazing. This is just fantastic. And, and even when I had those plans, I never dreamed it was going to be this good. You've done a fantastic job. Everybody will want one of these. So here you are. Here's the keys. I just wanted to bless you and give you this house because I see you've done so much for the town and I wanted to give you it as a gift. And the builder takes the keys, knowing it's a shoddy job. We build for the glory of Christ. And therefore, we do things with solid foundations and with the wisdom of the Spirit. We don't want to cut corners because Jesus owns the church and it's his building project. Number three, church is meant to be growing because if you're building something, it grows, doesn't it? Church is meant to grow. And particularly when Jesus is building the church, it should be growing. That means new souls coming into the church. Now, I'm not telling you this off my own back. This was independent research done by people who were not believers. They, they did a load of research, and basically what they did is they examined comparative numbers of believers. And they took churches of approximately 1,000, and then they looked at what was happening in churches of uh, about 50. So they look, let's say 20 churches of 50 equals one church of 1,000. What they found was this, and this is again contrary, but it is kingdom, is that the church of 1,000, on average, over a five-year period, led 119 people to Christ who still remained within the church at the end of the five-year period. That's good, isn't it? That's really good. 
wouldn't you say? 119 people coming to Christ. I think that's better than actually we, 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 I've seen. I think that's great. But what is really surprising is the 20 churches of 50 people over that five-year period on average led 16 times more people to Christ who stayed in the church. Why? Because a lot of about the kingdom is about relationship with each other and with Christ. And when we let Jesus build the church, we're not so worried about numbers, but we are worried about and think about and dwell about and do excellently relationship. Because the job of us as believers is to let the love of Christ that's in us out and to get the wisdom of the Holy Spirit so we can help others and bless others and care for others. And so church is meant to be growing, but that doesn't mean, just let me put that in context, because sometimes some of you will have heard this. I know that, that, for instance, the front rows heard this, is healthy things grow. How many of you heard that when, when we talk about church? Healthy things grow. So if you're not growing, you're not healthy. But I think we're pretty healthy. and We are growing, but I think we're pretty healthy. Here's the thing. That's not true. Honestly, it's not true. Weeds grow. Deadly nightshade grows. Poisonous snakes grow. It's just not true that only healthy things grow. Unhealthy things grow. Cancer grows. But we're so keen to get man's wisdom that we just accept these things. You see, what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about building his church is kingdom growth. And that does not necessarily equate with the growth of an individual church. You see, we're meant to grow... And every one of us should be seeing growth around us. When you're one of the little kids who's dancing out the front loving Jesus, you're kind of hoping you're not going to remain like that. Well, your parents are hoping you're not going to remain like that. They're kind of keen for you to get our nappies and get out and basically leave the nest, earn some money and just stop, you know. And, but, so they grow. Like, I used to call Matt, all, most of his life, I, Jessica's small, so she, he was fine because Jessica's little name I have for is Tiny. And she's, she's happy with that. I used to call Matt Little Guy. Well, Matt's not Little Guy anymore. He's up here and he's out here and it's kind of like... And when he got to about there, I said to him one day, what are you going to do when you're a bit bigger? Do I have to stop calling you Little Guy? He said, no, you can still call me Little Guy. It'll just be ironic then. <laughs> and, and so people grow, don't they? But let's imagine, let's roll it on a bit. And unfortunately, when you get to the age of 18, 19, you stop growing that way, yeah? Here's the next thing that happens. When you get to the age of about 30, unfortunately, you start growing that way. <laughs> You're still growing. Here's the difference. When you get to adulthood, you're meant to go and reproduce. You're meant to go out and... And, and have babies. And, and families grow. That's what growth, natural growth in life is about. 
when all the growth is taking place is you're getting fatter and fatter and fatter and bigger and bigger and bigger and your consumption is conspicuous and you're eating every resource that ever comes into you, that is not healthy growth. So not all healthy things grow. In fact, growth can be a sign of lack of health. So we have to be wise when we hear these things because we hear them repeated to us. And we don't want to be fit, fat, conspicuous consumers. We want to be lean, mean, fighting machines, full of the spirit, yeah? That's, that's what kingdom goes, where we reproduce ourselves in others. Multiplication, not addition, is what brings kingdom growth. Number four, the growing church faces opposition. The growing church faces opposition. Here's what Jesus says. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. A sign that a church is healthy is not acceptance, it is hostility towards it. Sign a church is healthy is not acceptance, it's hostility towards it. That's what Jesus is saying. I remember um, it was before Peter and Jackie's day, but they would have been really proud of me. Uh, I remember one particular meeting where a, a, a pastor of another church uh, came along. He, he hadn't started his church then. And he came along, he came along to one of our Sunday meetings. And at the end of the meeting, we got the kids down and they... We got them involved in praying for healing for people. <coughs> kind of cool, I thought. So the, on the Monday, I got an email from, from this, this person, and they invited me out for lunch. I thought, oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. So I met him for lunch later on in the week, and he sat me down. He said, oh, I'm really happy to bless you. And, but I just wanted to raise a few things with you because I'm really concerned about what you're doing in your church. I said, oh, are you? What, what, what's the issue? He said, well, you're abusing children. I'm like, this is something I don't know. He said, yeah, because when you got them up to pray for people, that's child abuse because you're going to shatter their faith. And it's not, absolutely not. But that's the hostility we get. And, and the, the, the one thing that Cheryl and I have noticed is you get no more hostility on anything than when Jesus heals people. Somehow, everybody has an issue when Jesus heals somebody. Instead of getting excited that Jesus healed somebody, they want to prove he didn't. They want to say he doesn't do that anymore. They want to say that you're making it up. They want to say that you can't believe Jesus to do that. And he only heals some, and he only cares about some, and he chooses, and all that sort of stuff. And you get this massive tidal wave. You know, I can put something out on Facebook, and, and I can talk about Jesus, how much he loves us and about his grace and stuff like that. And I'll get private messages coming in and I'll guarantee that, that every time I put something up like that, somebody will private message me, tell me that I'm speaking the words of the devil, I'm the antichrist, I'm the mouthpiece of the enemy. The church faces, that is healthy, faces hostility. And not only from out in the world. Here's the thing I want you to know, that as you see the miracle working power of God work in you, in bringing others into the kingdom, healing their body, setting them free, delivering them, you're going to get hostility. 
And that's okay, because Jesus said, resist the devil and he will flee. Ride out and meet the devil and he will flee. So we do that. We go knowing that is the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is that health produces hostility and the way to deal with that hostility is to keep riding out, keep meeting it, and it will flee. It might be growling and battering down the doors, but if you go out and meet it, it will flee. See, when Jesus talks about the gates of hell will not prevail against it, here's my fifth and my final point, and it'd be kind of good if the worship team came up now. <laughs> wherever they've gone to. There they are, scattered all over the place. Here's, here's the thing. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us, he, the gates of hell are not on the offence. They're not meant to be on the offence. You know, I remember once, this is years ago, I think it was around the time of 9-11, and there was a, the, the church we were in, having, there was a kind of number of people in the church having marital difficulties and all that sort of stuff. And we were asked one morning that, 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 that we, we should all pray as a church and resist the gates of hell that were attacking the church. And, and so we all did. But here's the thing. I have never seen a gate bouncing down the street to attack me. You know, I go and visit people. The gate does not leap at me. We are, do not have gates of mass destruction. Do we? We just... Where did that come from? <laughs> Police don't carry loaded gates. Terrorists do not hold you up at gate point. Gates are not on the attack here. Jesus is saying, my church that I'm building will be on the offence. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand it because we're going to kick them down. And there's nothing that he can do. The only thing you have to fear, as somebody said, who I can't remember, is fear itself. And Jesus said, resist the enemy and he will flee. Ride out and meet him. The church is on the offence. And we need to move from a defensive posture to an offensive posture. And realise that every day out there, we are out there, dynamic carriers of the kingdom and we need to ride out and meet the enemy and stand on the rock who saved us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent Jesus to win this incredible victory over the enemy. And I thank you, Lord, that you have now given us your spirit to be your disciples, to reproduce ourselves in others, to, to go on the offence and take ground from the enemy. And I thank you for that, Jesus, and I praise you for that. Can we all just give him praise? Can we all give him thanks? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you.